welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning, Hillcrest. How are you guys doing? Good. Happy New Year to you again. It's only the second Sunday of the New Year. I don't know about you. It takes me a little while to warm up to the New Year, to like figure out. Do you guys remember, I don't know about you, but back in the day, it took me the longest. Do you remember checkbooks? You remember writing the wrong date in the checkbook for like six months, like crossing them out? Some kids are like, what's that thing for? That's how we used to give people money. I don't even know where my checkbook is at anymore. So anyhow, <laughs> yeah. oh, Brady, you still have yours? Good man. Yes. <laughs> uh, so welcome again. Uh, my name is Christian Limbeck. I'm the pastor here. So delighted to have you here this morning. As Carlos said, we are in the second week of a new series. It's a short series, kind of just to kick off uh, the new year about the practical art of being human. And I like that juxtaposition, uh, that we believe that, that, he, that being human has this artful, wonderful, sort of uh, unexplainable side as well, that, that kind of messy complexity of what it means to be a human. There's an artful, wondrous side, but there are some very practical implications about being human, about practicing that art of humanity. And so this series wants to combine those two, that the practical and the artful, like in the art of walking as a Christian, a healthy, happy, vibrant, purposeful Christian in the world, the art of it, how do we operate in the practice of it? Um, You'll notice again, and Carlo mentioned that he's over here painting. In fact, you'll see some of the empty canvases that we're going to fill in as well. That's last week's, and then it'll fill in. And painting itself is an expression of that very thing, right? There's the practical art of picking up paint and blending and knowing what you're doing and putting it on a canvas, but it is more than just the expression of the practice of it, right? A painting itself comes alive because of the art of it. And so this too is an expression of the practical side of the art of being human. Um, last week, Tim kicked off the series with talking about the art of wonder. Isn't it? I, that almost, that, we thought that'd be the great first thing that sort of captures what we mean about humanity. How do we as people maintain our sense of wonder for life? How do we protect it even zealously? He talked about this uh, disengaged disenchantment, right? Uh, cynical disenchantment that robs the world of its inherent splendor. How do we uh, build up, develop, and protect wonder, which is a, we have to take practical steps to develop this artful side of our humanity. Well, uh, this week, I'm going to get a little more technical, literally. Uh, We're going to talk about how does, in the art of being human and interacting with with God and other human beings in creation, where does technology fit into that? All pervasive, is it hurt? Does it help? Is it neutral? Certainly in this day and age to figure out how to walk practically in the art of being human being, we have to wrestle with where technology fits into that. I mean, I think that begins by admitting that it's everywhere. Like technology is all pervasive for us. Um, I suppose that even in recent days past, it was a little easier to escape the blare of the TV or the radio. You could get out uh, into nature and get away from it. But now our technology follows us everywhere, right? 
It's in our pocket. It's on our watches. It's in our car. Uh, it follows us to the bathroom. Uh, it is all, right? Let's get real. It is all everywhere. It's in our cars. It's studying our grocery habits. It's tracking our movements. It's tracking what we do online. It recommends to us, helpfully, things that we might need. Uh, it is all pervasive. And I, and I want to say, right up front, this is my uh, declaration, I love technology. So for me, this isn't like tear down technology day. I, I love, to, I mean, I was born in 1969. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I have been waiting for talking watches and robots. <laughs> like this is, this is my promise, right? And so uh, I'm excited about it. But the question for us today is, how is it impacting the art of our humanity? It's, it's come on so quickly and it is so pervasive it is so everywhere and so all-knowing, in a sense, that we have to ask, how is this impact, this art, this wonder, this walking with God, this seeing and appreciating and loving other people and noticing the creation around us and uh, walking again, kind of the expression of the art? And what is, how does technology um, interact with that? Now, as soon as I thought, hey, I'm going to write a message about technology, I thought, hey, that's a big topic. <laughs> uh, so for the sake of conversation, and I think to focus it where it belongs, I'm going to narrow the conversation down. And I want to begin it by showing you a couple of pictures. You ready for that? There's a little audience interaction, oh, city of subdued excitement. So <laughs> just saying, prepare thyself. All right, what's that? What is it? Car. Sweet technology. I'm not saying that's my favorite car. Oh, wait, we skipped right to the next one. You're giving away my punchline. That's cool. It, technology's good. We love our cars because they're cool. They're serious technology. They're powerful. They're reliable. They're, all, they're amazing. They are also dangerous. Uh, they are, I want to say this, inherently dangerous. Thousands of pounds of steel are hurtling through space a meter apart from each other. Uh, if you've ever been in an accident... It changes the way you see. Like one day you're kind of tootling along looking at your phone, driving at 60 miles an hour. You get in an accident and all of a sudden you see the danger of all the cars around you. You're like, this is bananas. Those people are right there, right? You, it reframes the inherent danger of the thing for you. Okay, what's this one? Now, work with me here, peeps. Okay, no, this is laser, right? Uh, I didn't know if you'd get that right away. So here's something. Also super cool, high technology, helpful in a thousand ways inherently dangerous. Okay, how about this one? Next one, go ahead. We're going to get there. Yep, fire. Fire, first technology, right? So this is like super duper world changing technology, but you can say it with me in your head now, it is inherently dangerous. And you see that about fire, right? I mean, it's, it's good, you can use it, but you have to be smart. It is itself inherently dangerous. I could do this for hours, so I had to limit myself, but let me do two more. <laughs> But uh, chemotherapy, right? So here we have something that is good. It's beneficial, targeted gene cell chemotherapy. Uh, it can be helpful, but it can be inherently dangerous. Let's try another one. How about this? This is, what is this? Wrecking ball. Now, that may seem like old kind of barbarian technology to you, but the machines that we have built that will deliver 20,000 pounds against a wall with precision that is a massive achievement of human technology. It is inherently, say it with me, 
dangerous, right? And you can look at it and see this is something that's good that is inherently dangerous. I'll do one last one. Are you ready? Oh, that, yep. The ubiquitous smartphone. The handheld computer we have all been promised. The bane and boon of human existence. If I have read the statistics right, 80% of you are carrying one. My 82-year-old dad. Dad, do you have your phone on you? There it is. He pulls it out. (laughs) This guy is the text master, too. If you become friends with Ted Limbeck, prepare yourself for emojis. If 80% of it are carrying it, and it is that new and that powerful, it is the technology we must master in the art of being human. It is the most disruptive, interruptive piece of technology that's ever been on the face of the earth. And we carry it around as though it were simple. And I want to suggest to you that it is inherently dangerous. Now, I have a little news flash for you. For some, you're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. It'll be an affirmation for others. Some, it will be new. Most will agree uh, by nodding. But I want you to know that that piece of technology is not neutral technology. And the question of the art of being human and what it, like, operating as a healthy human with God and others, this is not neutral. Like, it's not up to you if it's helpful or hurtful. It is not just inherently dangerous. I'm going to get to this. It's inherently addictive. It is, in fact, begins in a non-neutral position. I'm going to argue that it begins in inherently detrimental. Now, some of you might be arguing in your head, saying, well, that's not true. It's just how you use it. It's up to you how you use it. And my calm response to you is not true. It is not just up to you because this little device shares something in common with some other things that we might know. Can you bring up that collage? Fast food, cigarettes, potato chips, and the iPhone. What? They all go together? They do all go together because they all share in common being inherently dangerous and addictive. Cigarette companies have spent millions and millions of dollars researching not what makes their cigarettes better, but what makes you need them. It goes from being a choice to a need they have put product inside the cigarette that is simply about addiction. Fast food companies, potato chips, heck, most of the prepared food industry shares something in common, a poorly hidden secret. They are interested in making you addicted to their products. It's fascinating to me. I could tell a bunch of stories. I'm going to focus it onto one. Most prepared foods have a little calculation to figure out how much fat, how much sugar, and how much salt to put in them to make you addicted to them, you and me. It's not to improve the taste. It's not to improve the quality of the food. It's to make us addicted. It's funny. I was watching this one uh, CEO uh, being interviewed from Lay's Potato Chips. And the guy's like, why do you put sugar in the potato chips? Why, why put sugar in a potato chip? It doesn't need it. It doesn't make it taste any better. It just makes you addicted. And the CEO of Lay's Potato Chips says, there's no smoking gun here. There's no secret Our motto is, we bet you can't eat just one. (laughs) I'm not in the business of making healthy food. I'm in the business of selling potato chips. So I have found out how to make you crave this chip, to make you 
addicted to it. Well, what does that have to do with the art of being human in our mobile device? Well, everything. Because the little handheld computer that we love so much is not benign. These companies have spent shades more money than either any of those other companies to find out what makes you need this device. What does it feel like to hold in your hand? How do the buttons work? How much of a haptic response is pleasurable and how much is too little? The most powerful tool they have is called A-B testing. Anybody know any scientists in your A-B testing? It's simple, right? Uh, Do you like this or that? You are subjecting, we are subjecting ourselves to thousands of A-B tests a day. You know that we sign on the internet, we implicitly agree for A-B testing? So these companies just try you. Do you like this? Do you like the blue button? Do you like the darker blue button? The lighter blue button? Do you like it if it's pointy or round or square? And they're testing us thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day. To make the product better? No. (laughs) To make you need it. To make you desire it. The apps are the worst. Uh, When first games were designed, they were designed for gameplay and what would happen to you. Now it is simply designed primarily for how much you will play it. Candy Crush Addicts. You may look down now. (laughs) This is not a great game. It is literally a game designed to make you go, well, I got to do this. Clearly, I have to pass this level or the world won't go on. (laughs) And they include, like, how much prize do I have to get? How much do I have to withhold? Because they win on how much time you spend on the game. It is inherently addictive. And I just think that that means... Uh, since we are carrying this inherently dangerous and addictive device like a pack of cigarettes in our pocket and we're discussing technology, we have to ask ourselves, uh, even though it doesn't represent all technology, but as we look at a, a world that's losing wonder, growing in anxiety and loneliness, it's losing the art of being human, and you are looking for places that might be happening, I offer you this. And as we unpack it, I mean, just, I, I, uh, watching my time, but ongoing proof. <laughs> this is not one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> Every staff meeting is like, you might take a little long with that. Um, ongoing proof looks something like this. I might talk about how much pornography is accessed on these devices. There are more than 700 visits per second to America's largest pornography website, 23 billion visits per year, 524,641 years of pornography are watched worldwide every year off the single platform, and the way they are getting to it 60% of the time, this device. This is the new distribution tool of pornography, the largest growing group of users, young people starting typically at the age of 11. The percentage of young women that used to be less than 1% accessing pornography on this device, now a staggering 26%. The number one, and I'm looking around the room and being careful, percentage of the kinds of things that young women are looking at pornography on this device has to do with violence. The content is planted everywhere. It's on news sites. You go to read the news, and the side banner is a ploy for pornography. The reason is why. It sells. It's addictive. It gets you to stay on the site and move the traffic. It is inherently dangerous. And I think to myself when I think of my own kids, oh my gosh, I gave it to them. I put the viper in their pocket. I might as well teach them how to use it. 
If this is the place where that is happening, I can no longer look at it like I just gave you a neutral tool. I gave you an inherently dangerous and addictive tool, and at least in the art of being human, and we think about Christians in, in the craft of our alignment with God and our relationship with each other and the enjoyment of the world, this device must be dealt with. It's inherently dangerous. And I, I think of hours on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, prevailing stats of depression, anxiety, and loneliness drive us to work with it. And I think that I can narrow all of my advice about this device and I guess resultant kinds of technology into one singular piece of advice. One way to work with these and still be a healthy, spiritually vibrant Christian who can use it as a tool, understanding what it is, understanding its inherent danger, but still grow, still be vibrant, still walk in the art of being human. I'm going to narrow that simple rule down is consider the investment of time for value. The investment of time for value. I know that is a mouthful, uh, but I want to say it simply like this. When you think about in the art of being human, especially young people, and as I thought about this, I thought about like kids, like having them take out their phone and look at it during this, not look at it, but you know, like understand what the device is. As we consider how we invest our time as Christians, how we work through time, investment of time for value, the Bible asks us to operate under some signature ideas. The first one that I love is that all time is a precious, limited gift. Like your time, time, how you invest the time and what you do with it already matters. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it's going to come up. Or it might not. There it is. Okay. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Let me put a paraphrase in there. Because time is limited. And because the days are evil. I urge you then, do not be foolish about the investment, but understand what God's will is for how, and I again paraphrase, you use your time. And it's not just that all time is precious, but number two, all of our time belongs to God. Let me put it this way. It's not yours or mine to use however we want. A Christians live under this radical idea that I want to read out of you, read to you out of Galatians 2.20. As a declaration of who we are, and we'll share these words with Paul, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me paraphrase. I shared in Jesus' death, and I share in his resurrection. He would say it this way, the only way you are alive and doing anything in the world is that we are hand in hand, walking through life together. Can I paraphrase again? All your time has been returned to you a gift, so none of it is yours to waste. <laughs> I put you in the grave. I reached and I took you out. Now, all my time, I'm going to give you back the gift of time, but it all has a purpose. It all is meant to be used as an investment. Enjoy. Do you know one of our great investments of time is rest? Do you know what you're not doing when you're staring at your phone? 
investing that time in rest. He says, I I give you back time as a gift, but all of it falls under this purpose. None of it belongs to you because you are dead and sharing in life. I think that, and I'm going to be so careful. I get a little soapboxy today, and I I warned myself several times, don't get on the soapbox. But uh, 10 years ago, this would have been a sermon about what? TV. Tell you are winning today, Talia. (laughs) TV. It would have been about how much time we invest in TV, a message not well heeded by the church either. But I want to tell you that the amount of time that we are touching, interacting with, checking in, feeling, making sure it's okay, blows away the amount of time we used to spend on TV. I got great news for you. We haven't stopped watching TV either. Hooray. We watch a lot of it here, but we still have our TVs on top of it. In addition to the three to four hours most people have their TV on, 86 hours a month are spent looking into this box. <laughs> what else do you invest 86 hours a month into other than your job? I bet not your spouse. Ouch, that was mean. <laughs> but I could have said kids and that would have been meaner. Our time is not ours to waste. And I, this is it. This is the soapbox. I'm just going to say it. Have you heard about, um, researchers have found this, they call it sense, phone sense addiction. When they take people's phone away from them, they can still feel it ringing. I'm not kidding. Pinging, vibrating. Teenagers said, I know I'm getting a message. I can feel that it is buzzing in my locker. Yeah, no, you can't. That's bonkers, and you have an issue. (laughs) Here's my soapbox. In just a minute, and I'll keep it brief. Outcomes are related to investment. Now, the contemporary church and the people who make it up often are wondering, why isn't the church full of the power that I read about? Why isn't the church vibrant and strong? Why aren't people being healed? Why aren't people being brought home? Why isn't the church active in its community? Why isn't it like what I read about on the edges? Why isn't it like when new Christians are coming? Are you ready for this? Our outcomes equal our investment. And most of us, I'm going to be so careful, not anybody sitting in this room, of course, but many people are investing their time here. And simultaneously asking, why do we not see the power of God in our church or in our lives? And I'm just going to say simply because many other people know about God, but they do not know him because they have invested the predominance of their time here. I'm going to make this really easy. If we added up all the hours that we waste doing nothing on our phones, computers, TVs, and internet, and compared it with the combined hours of prayer, conversation with God, meditation, time in the word, being outside, marveling in his mission in our communities and doing his work, we will arrive at a mathematical answer to a spiritual question. Because our outcomes will equal our investment. Okay, now let's take a breath. I'm off the soapbox. I'm going to invite our band to make their way back up. I'm going to slow down. 
I'm also going to say, I don't want to just want to bray upon this one expected note, especially if you're visiting and you haven't been to church before. I'm not always like this. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what a pastor would say. So it's cool. Come back. And I don't want you to go out, you know, and burn your cell phones, unless that's exactly what you need to do. <laughs> All I want, especially the young people among us, is to look at this thing the right way. It is not your friend. It is not benign. It has an agenda, a programmed agenda for you. Doesn't mean you get to use not use it. I love mine. I, I was thinking uh, each morning I get up, I read my Bible on this device, and then I read my devotional on this device. Then I listen to a hymn of the day on this device. Then I check the news on this device. I text encouraging messages to family and friends on this device. I'm reminded of my appointments. I set reminders for new ones. I check the weather. I get a head start on email. I might post on Facebook. It's a marvelous tool that can be used for great good. The gospel is going around the world on this tool, but it is not benign. So you must decide in the art of being human, how will I and my children interact with technology? How will we use it with our eyes wide open? How will we invest our time in the art of being human? So here's how we're going to end today, just like we did last week. In reflecting and asking some questions. To ourselves. Uh, you remember a week ago, we handed out notebooks. And if you didn't bring a notebook, you can grab one on your way out today. We have them for free. But I always suggest you bring a Bible and something that you can write in. And we ask you to kind of interact with some questions for yourself. Take some time to reflect. Be still. Think about you and your kids. Now, if you've listened to this message and you've thought, I have no problem with technology. In fact, I don't even have an iPhone. Uh, awesome. Would you pray for me? And the generation, I'm a, I will tell you right now, like, I, I'm a, where is it at? I think my world would stop if it weren't there. That's probably not okay. Uh, but pray for the generations around you. Pray for our kids. Uh, take that moment to reflect for them. And as our began, band begins to play, I'm going to offer you three questions. And I'd like you to ask yourself, perhaps write answers to these questions. And I want to say again, it's not a matter of the technology per se. It's a matter of our choice. How will we live? How will we use it? How will we even impact the platform for the cause of Christ and in the art of being human? Here are my three questions for you. Number one, do I have a healthy relationship with technology? And I got some sub-questions like, do I need to change or limit my use? Do I need to take daily breaks away from my phone? Is this thing too powerful for me and I need to take a prolonged break from it? Number two, do I need to rethink the content I am ingesting and therefore investing? In other words, has this become a gateway to a problem for you. I got, I got news. The world is awesome. Even in its broken state, it's wonderful. The people around you are privileged to love. If you have not noticed either lately, but you have noticed the screen of this device, then this question's for you. Change your priorities. Rethink what you're ingesting. I counsel a lot of men about addiction to pornography. 
This makes me think of Jesus who said, it's better to cut off your hand than to lose your whole life. And if this is that portal, set it down. You don't actually need it. Do something else. Do I need to delete some apps? Do I need to check my phone or install some software or get some help or confess and restart? Again, I wrote, is this thing too powerful for me? And do I need a prolonged break? The third question is, what new ways might I use this device to enhance the art of being human and the purpose of my life? Might I fill the world of social media with good news and hope instead of self-aggrandizing content? Just think what the church could do spreading the good news through all these social media platforms. Can I use it to meaningfully keep in touch with the people I love? Can I research, grow, and explore the world, the creation, and the Word of God? What, what ways can I use this well? Measure myself and use it well. I'm going to give you a short prayer, and then we're going to give you a minute to think about those. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for saving us, for recovering us, for giving us back the gift of each day. Now teach us to move through this life with each new thing that comes up under the same old banner. We love you. We love each other. We're grateful for life. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.